Crack fans, as always, I'm your host Dalton Thieneman, Indian Wells, aka the BNP Paribas Open, aka the fifth major, has uh, lived up to the hype yet again. Uh, last night, watched Taylor Fritz play an incredible third set tiebreaker against Fernando Verdasco and taking him out. And then, of course, the epic showdown between Venus and Serena. It was um, absolutely unreal watching them ride in the same golf cart together into the stadium. And it's completely unfair that they had to play each other in the third round. I think it was the earliest that they had played each other in a tournament since 1998. So I think uh, some of the rules surrounding uh, rankings uh, need to be adjusted there because Serena should have had a ranking coming back. But... Uh, for all of our Indian Wells covers, go check out the website, crackrackets.com, and add that on the favorites on your website browser or on your phone. Uh, Rob Thomas wrote a piece recently on Serena and her comeback that you have to check out. Uh, Leopold gives you the latest tweener sensation at Indian Wells and, of course, every tweener Tuesday. Ryan Cardiff is keeping you updated with everything college tennis and his college roundup. And it should be entertaining with conference play heating up here. Parsa also has uh, has you locked down with the most fire interviews and uh, some good ones coming on the way there as well. Uh, one quick plug, go follow our Twitter and Instagram pages at the handle Cracked Rackets. And if you haven't already, go subscribe, rate, and review the Great Shot Podcast. Alex Gruskin, Max Rothman, and Max Fliegner have new episodes every week coming for you. So go check that out and uh, go rate us with five stars and give us a review as well. But on this edition of the Cracked Interviews, 19-year-old Caroline Dolhide joins the podcast to discuss her successful run at Indian Wells, going toe-to-toe with world number one Simona Halep on the biggest stage, uh, discussing kind of the surreal moment of of being on that stage, debating Gruskin, which was hilarious, on uh, no ad scoring, Puts him in his place there as well. Uh, Talks about uh, her family dynamic and being from a tennis family. And uh, also debates Nike versus Adidas. And I want to give a quick shout out to Sam Duvall and Top Notch Management for making this happen again. For now, enjoy Gruskin and I's conversation with Caroline. Caroline, thanks again for coming on. Hi, yeah, thanks for having me. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Gruskin. Alex? Hey, Caroline, nice to meet you. 
Hi, you too. So um, typically, I don't know how much you followed our podcast, but we typically do the mm-hmm. progression, you know, from junior, collegiate or decision to go forego college and then professional career. But we're going to fast forward because of the crazy couple of weeks you've had at Indian <laughs> Wells. Yeah. Um, so how's it been out there? You've been out there for a few weeks now, right? Yeah, it was crazy. I actually just got home last night. I surprised my family in Chicago. But yeah, Indian Wells was awesome. It's such a beautiful place. And I was really glad to be out there for the 125K beforehand because that was an awesome lead-up tournament. To get a few matches on those courts was really key to the BNP pre-boss event. Um, that kind of gave me the confidence to kind of like trust myself in the next tournament. And I came out playing Shelby, another American, which was a lot of fun because I've never played on that big of a stadium. So that was different. Um, but yeah, it was awesome. An awesome experience. I have to ask, you know, playing on court one, you mentioned it. What's that like to be under the stadium lights? It's crazy, um, especially when I played against Telep, world number one. Just like thinking about that the day before and the morning of, it kind of feels like a dream. And you kind of think of it as a tennis player and you dream of it, of playing the world number one. But then you don't really realize it until you're actually in that situation. And it was just a huge opportunity. and. I was so honored to have that situation handed to me, especially with the wild card that they gave me. So yeah, being in front of thousands of people is professional tennis player's dream. I bet. I bet. At what point in the match did you look around and just feel like, you know, this is a surreal moment. It's almost like a movie. Where Was there any point in the match where you just like wanted to pinch yourself almost? Yeah, the second I walked out when they announced my name. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I definitely... Like, after a few of the points at the beginning, like, when I was playing Unbelievable, like, I looked around and I was like, wow, this is actually happening. And then after it was all done and I was out of the tournament and I was walking off, I kind of just looked around and waved at everybody. And I was like, wow, this is this is amazing. Well, I mean, talking about moments where you pinch yourself, I have to ask. So, you know, we'll set the scene. Simona Halep is at the net. She hit sort of a drop volley, and yeah. you get to that, and you have a forehand loaded. What happens next? <laughs> what happens next? Um, <laughs> I run as fast as I can, and I hit the ball like towards her, her body, and she kind of reacted, and I think it hit her hand, but I don't know. I just did everything I possibly could to win the point, and it ended up hitting her, but I put my hand up, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Can I just say, in terms of tactics, I'm totally down with that. I uh, grew up in Michigan, which, you know, Michigan's kind of similar to Chicago. You play a lot of indoor tennis, and indoors, it's all about hard body. You're hitting. Uh Uh So it's not personal. It's a Midwest thing. Yeah, it's not personal. Nothing out there should be personal. It's just, you know, like one person against the other who who can, like, win the point, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I've had girls do that to me multiple times. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you had you had to let Simona know who you were, right? I mean, she's yeah. never going to forget you now. Well, I mean, it was hilarious when you're introducing your match with her. You said, you know, Simona Halep, world number one, as if we didn't know. Yeah. So clearly, that is something you're thinking about. So I loved yeah. it. You know, it takes a certain chutzpah to do something like that. And so uh-huh. it, was, uh, it was great tennis all yeah. around. You kind of just have to put all of that aside the second you start. It was definitely a new thing for me to like realize that you're playing someone that good, but just realize that you're just playing another girl who wants to win a tennis match. 
we do want to transition though to your junior years and you mentioned mm-hmm. growing up in Chicago uh, what was that like you know training indoors I know you have two sisters who also play tennis you know uh-huh. how is it you know finding hits and preparing yourself to play at the highest level I started when I was about four or five just in summer camps and stuff like that because we never really played tennis in the winter because indoor tennis was, I don't know, very fast, especially as a young girl. So as I got older, like five, six, seven, eight, I started playing a little bit more. And it's it's definitely different from all of my friends growing up because all across the nation, like girls grow up in California and Florida and they're playing tennis all day and they skip school. But I was in school up until sophomore year in high school. So I had to kind of work around that. And with my coach at home, Tom Lockhart, he picked me up at around 6, 6.15, and then we'd play for an hour or two, and then he'd drive me to school, and then I'd come home from school, and then I'd go straight to the court. So that's when I started getting a little bit more serious with my tennis, so around like 10, when I was still playing a little bit of soccer, but kind of quit that (laughs) to focus on tennis. So have you been with Tom Lockhart since then? Yeah, I've been with him from... When I started up until I was around 16, and then I started with Stephen Huss with the USTA. And you just more recently moved down to Lake Nona at USTA's mm-hmm. campus down there, right? So how yeah. was that transition down to Lake Nona? It was definitely different because I think my first time in Boca was around 12, and I would just spend a few weeks there a year. And then once I was 16, a lot of people started seeing potential in my game, and I wanted to take it a lot more serious than I was, even though I was playing junior slams and stuff like that. But um, after I broke my foot in 2015, that was kind of a turning point of my tennis because I went straight from juniors to pros that next year because I was about to play hard courts, but then then I didn't because of that broken foot. And then I went on to do a preseason and then started my pro circuit. And that's pretty much when I started with the USTA. Before that point, you know, did you do a lot of traveling, you know, for international junior events, trying to get your ranking up? I actually didn't. No, my coach really didn't believe in that kind of stuff, like traveling and chasing points. So I just did a lot of Midwest stuff. And then when I got better, I did some national events. And then like I did Orange Bowl in Florida and Easter Bowl. And then I got a wild card into U.S. Open Qualies. And then I ended up making semis. So that's kind of how I got my ranking. You know, Dalton is from Indiana. I'm from Michigan. Mm-hmm. So shout out to the Midwest Close, the best yeah. tournament out there. Heck yeah. Um, Gotta represent. Deck, yeah, it stacks up well with Indian Wells. The facilities <laughs> are just the same. Um, but, you know, you talk about making that transition. And you did have a bit of success before breaking your foot. You know, you made the semis in Hilton Head. Uh, but, uh-huh. you know, what is it like to have to recover from an injury so early in your career? It was a shock to me because I never was that injured in my entire life. Like I broke my nose when I was a little kid and I cracked my head open, whatever. But breaking a foot and being really serious in a sport is a completely different thing. Because then it's like, oh, I'm going to miss this event. Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to train? And it just gives you a different perspective. It kind of gave me a reason to push forward and and do better. So I'm I'm actually kind of glad that it happened. It sucked, but it kind of made me push towards pro circuit. What about those uh, junior doubles results? I I mean, you make the semis (laughs) to two majors. Why not just go pro and dubs? I don't know. It it was the finals, but who's counting? (laughs) But uh, I don't know. Um, I just always loved singles and doubles. is just so much fun. 
I just love doing both. And doubles is a different feel because you're with somebody else. You're like, you get to talk with them. You get to laugh with them. You get to strategize with them. So it's, it's just different. But I always saw myself as a singles player and a doubles player. I never saw myself as one or the other. Definitely. And, you know, I have two siblings who play tennis as well. And so, you know, growing up with them, I got to hit with them a ton. And that obviously fueled mm-hmm. my passion for the game. You yeah. know, what's it like growing up in a family of tennis? It's different. I mean, Courtney is a lot older than me. She's five or six years older than me. So I never really got the chance to hit with her because she was always so much better than me. Um, I just kind of looked up to her and saw what she was doing. And I kind of mimicked it. And um, up until the point of UCLA even. And then I decided to go my own route. But it's really nice to have my younger sister look up to us too. They both won state. I never won state because I never played, but they both won state. So they're also really good tennis players. But So um, they hold that over your head? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> my brother won state too in golf. So I'm the only non-state champion in my family. So then the natural follow-up is, you know, all three of you guys are put on a court tomorrow. Uh, who ends up, who, you know, who comes out on top? I would think it would be me, but you know, you never know. What about on the golf course? Throw you all out on the golf course. Who comes out the winner there? Um, maybe my mom, because we played mini golf and my mom was killing us all. Oh man. It was insane. I do want to get back to the UCLA decision, which you just alluded to. Tell us about, you know, when you verbally committed there and then, you know, the decision to forego college. I originally committed there because, I mean, the campus is beautiful. The coaches are awesome. I've known them since I was in eighth grade, since ever since Courtney went there. And I just always saw myself there because I visited Courtney all the time. But as I practiced more intensely and as I started doing better, I kind of talked with my coaches and I kind of took a step back and had to look at my career. And I just really just woke up one day and was like, all right, I just want to do this. And I was in communication with them about how I was feeling and we we just had a really good communication back and forth. And then I told Stella that I thought the best decision in that moment was to pursue a professional tennis career. And she was proud of me making my decision, but I mean, obviously they would have loved me to have to be a part of their team. So it was, it was a tough decision, but it was definitely the right one. And I knew that from the second I woke up that morning that, that I should be doing this. We talk a lot about how much talent there is in terms of young American tennis players, both guys and girls. Mm -hmm. Uh, How much does it help to have so many contemporaries who you can talk about this decision with and, you know, get through that thought process? It's amazing. I knew personally that I wanted to make the decision, but I definitely talked with all of the girls older than me that have already been through this. And they were all in different stages. Like Jenny Brady went to college for a little bit and turned pro and like, Irina Falcone, same thing, Christian and Allie Risk. I talked to, seriously, like all of them. And it was really encouraging to hear what they had to say. But it, was, it definitely helped me out to realize kind of what I was going to get into. You talk about, you know, moving down to Orlando. Uh, does it help again to have so many peers to train with and, you know, work through the, your whole season, you know, train alongside of? Yeah, I have an awesome team down in Lake Nona. Obviously, there's a ton of up-and-coming Americans, and the Americans already out there are great, too. 
So there's a lot of girls to hit with and a lot of people training at the center. And the people looking over my tennis right now, like Ola, um, Jose Higueras, Steven Huss, they're all super accomplished coaches and, and former players. So I'm in a really good situation right now, especially with like my strength and conditioning coach, Satoshi Ochi. And I, I pretty much have it all down there because of them. Leading up to the uh, 2018 season, was there anything in particular that um, you focus on in the off season that you think is the reason for the results you're experiencing the last few weeks here? Yeah, I did a very extended preseason. I did almost eight weeks. And we did that because my game is really physical and I need to last that long and I need to push my opponents that long. So we did a lot of movement, a lot of lifting to incorporate power and speed. So that was definitely helpful throughout the beginning of the season. And they always reminded me of, you know what, the results aren't for sure. You know, like you can lose first round or you can win the tournament. But it was really good to focus on my conditioning and trust the process and kind of just believe in that. And the last two weeks kind of showed that. So throughout that eight week cycle, if you will, did you have, did you pick up a racket or was it all focused on conditioning? Uh, I picked I know- up a racket after two weeks and we started playing a little bit and then played a lot more for the last like five, five or so weeks. That makes sense. Cause I know there's a lot of people that are, you know, believe in three, mm-hmm. four week cycles where it's nothing but conditioning. I didn't know if yeah. that was something that do what we're doing there but that sounds brutal to be honest <laughs> for my, for it, my honestly it was but it was so worth it you started talking about your game and don't like it mad at me for you know wanting to talk specifics but you have mm-hmm. such a powerful game where you're moving forward all the time you know taking mm-hmm. balls early how do you work on those skills and practice to maximize getting to the net um just keep I guess just like working on my combinations, like my kick serve and and a ton of forehands. Um, My coach kind of from home grew up watching men's tennis. So that's kind of how he saw my game. Um, So just kind of playing like that and mixing in the slice that Steven always uses because he has a one-handed backhand. So yeah, just practicing my strengths and working on my weaknesses. You know, I read an article uh, in, you know, doing a little research before this. And a- according to Tom, he said mm-hmm. you started beating him at age 16. Now, is that <laughs> true or false? Um, I was beating him. Yeah, it's kind of true. I mean, <laughs> he had a huge serve, so it was really kind of impossible for me to break him. So um, it kind of went back and forth, honestly. Yeah, and then you just started moving him more side to side, and yeah. that's when it was over. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> Gruskin, I'm surprised you didn't rip apart the one-handed backhand there, because that's, uh, <laughs> well, that's mean, always your thing. Now you know why he's losing. Yeah. <laughs> I actually just recently beat Stephen for the first time. Yeah, Stephen Huss. Is that- yeah, in Australia. I beat him in a set. It wasn't that big of a deal, but he holds it over <laughs> me because I posted it on social media, and he was so <laughs> <laughs> Did he make you delete it, or is that still? No, up? no, it's still up. So, wait, so how often do you all actually play like full matches or even sets? Is that just like you know when you're out on the court, no one mm-hmm. else to hit with? If you'll play periodically, or is that a reoccurring um, thing? It's kind of reoccurring. Like after you just practice long for a week and you want some point play, especially during or right before tournaments, um, we play sets. Especially when with Steven, when the girls have already left 
or something like that. So it's really nice to have coaches who can play. Oh, definitely. I blame my development on the fact that my coach didn't hit with me until I was yeah. 15. And it's yeah. like, that's why it didn't work. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we talk a lot about preparation, but a big thing of tennis is confidence. And, you know, your career, you've had some swings. You know, you had a, a rough patch kind of coming mm. back from that injury in 2016. You know, and then you win a title in both singles and doubles in Buffalo. Uh, yeah. Just how important is confidence when you're on the court? I think confidence is huge. Not necessarily confidence in how well you're playing, but in confidence in what work you've put in um, and just trusting yourself. So that that was huge in these last few tournaments. And after that injury, you know, like I had to train super hard coming back from this because I was out for more than two months. So, yeah, confidence is definitely a huge part of playing well. Yeah, and, you know, we've seen steady progression in your ranking. You know, you're now right around the top 125. Mm -hmm. uh, is that another thing that gets into your head? You're thinking, oh, I have to get a certain amount of ranking points to work my way up? Or is it more about how you're playing? Probably how I'm playing. Um, I was never much of a point chaser or kind of worried about that. I honestly don't even know how to count the points. Or I love that to... term, point chaser. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm, no, I'm not like that. But um, it's just getting better every day is what we're focused on. And I think that's what has led to my recent success and what hopefully will give me more success. And, you know, we alluded, sorry, last one, Dalton, I can hear you seething. You know, in terms of, uh, you know, your contemporaries, we've mentioned them before, but seeing the success they've had on tour, is that another thing that pushes you every day? Oh, for sure. All the work that they're putting in is incredible too. I mean, I practice with Jenny all the time and we have similar games, similar styles. So watching her and watching the other girls is really inspiring. And I, I hope the younger girls look up at us like that because that would definitely help them. I want to, I want to kind of change gears a little bit. I want to give a quick shout out to Sam Duvall and Top Notch Management for making mm -hmm. this happen. First and yeah. foremost, always got to um, thank the sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also want to kind of dive into that process. So, at what point did you realize, or what, at what point were you starting to get approached by agents and maybe consulting agencies? At what point did you make that decision? And give us a little insight as to what that yeah. process look, looks like. You know what? I actually really wasn't approached by that many people. But I did know a lot of USTA people and they encouraged me to kind of like put my stress on somebody else. So yeah. um, I talked to Tom Gullickson, who now lives in Chicago. So I met up with him and he was he knew Sam and connected me with him. So that was really helpful. And I signed with them in December. So pretty recently, but it's definitely helped me out. Because I don't know much about this. My family doesn't know much about this. Um, I was kind of just thrown into this. So it's it's really helpful to know that experienced people like Sam Duvall and Top Notch have my back on all of this. How do we feel about Team Adidas? Are we, we're liking the Adidas logos. We like where the gear is going. I like Stella McCartney and I like Adidas. Yeah, they're, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very good company. I like their shoes too. I wear them out pretty fast, but but they're really good shoes. Have you always been an Adidas person? I mean, is that... Yeah, you know what I have. And like Pharrell's line was awesome. And like their shoes, their NMDs and the Yeezys are just, they're too good to pass up. 
Well, I mean, I'm the, you know, I've been team Nike shoe from the yeah. get-go, so we don't have to have that debate on the podcast. I will yeah. say Nike's black and pink outfits for the guys, it's ruining everything. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with that. Every, and, and that was the worst part about watching Taylor last night because, you know, he had a big win last night against Bernasco. And just, I don't know, there's something about that outfit since the U.S. Open that, or since the Australian Open that I just, I can't, I don't know. I, I like their crop tops right now for the girls. They're, they actually look good. Like the yeah. one Sloan's wearing and the one Hope wore when she played me. Yeah, no, I thought it was an aesthetically pleasing match. Um, yeah. I will say, Dalton, we interviewed Taylor Fritz once, and you think you can just call him Taylor? Like, all right, get well, over yourself. I'd, I'd, call, I'd call him T-Money, but, you know, I think that's a little, <laughs> a little, a little breachy, but, you know. Okay, I want to get back a little bit to, you know, your 2018 season. You know, you mentioned having success. Indian Wells just seems to be your venue. But, you know, mm-hmm. moving forward for these next few months, what are your goals for the season? Definitely to crack the top 100 and to start playing in some main draw WTAs. That would be really nice to play more of the top 50, more of the top 100, to see what kind of girls I can play against and visit other places. I've only been outside of the country like two or three times, so that would be nice to travel a little bit more. Do you have a, you know, a set schedule for the clay season? Are you going to try and get to Europe and play? Um, I'm definitely going to Europe, but for now I'm just kind of focused on Charleston and those kind of tournaments that's a very professional answer (laughs) uh one match at a time right but going into the 2018 season did you and your coach scout out your schedule and if so have you thrown that in the garbage can since your results recently we did a little bit of an outline but no we we didn't throw out anything it was actually kind of we kind of had an overlook of this kind of a season i mean obviously we didn't know who i was going to beat and what kind of results i would have but we had a little bit of an outline that we're still following, which is nice. Maybe a little bit less ITF Pro Circuits, but other than that, pretty much no. staying on the same track. I have to ask you about the rule changes. Uh, just because mm-hmm. for me, as someone watching you know, the Pro Circuit, I love that they allow coaches now for WTA matches to yeah. come on court and come talk to. What do you think of that rule change? I really like it. Um, I don't know about the side coaching. like how we did in qualities of Australian Open and US Open. That's kind of a little bit different. Like you have to stand, you have to like walk over to your coach, stuff like that. But I definitely do like the on-court coaching. Not that we necessarily need it, but it's nice if you kind of just want it sometimes to just talk through some stuff. I am very much pro coaching on the court. You know, so many mm-hmm. other sports allow coaches to talk to their players, you know, all of these team sports. So why not allow it? Um, yeah, you for know, sure. We saw at the next-gen finals for the guys, they're implementing no-ad scoring and shortening sets. Uh, What do you think about those type of things? I wouldn't be a huge fan in the no-ad. I think the original scoring for tennis should stick. I like the sudden death. I'm I'm biased. Yeah, but when you play that sudden death, it's a little different. (laughs) (laughs) Shots fired. I'm just saying, so you fought off five break points in the Simona Halep first game of the match. Imagine you just win that first deuce point. It's like, boom, over, let's move on. Yeah, but it could always go the other way too, you know? (laughs) Oh, not the way you were playing. Yeah, Yeah, there was a lot of break points in that first game. Yeah, and in terms of coaching, I imagine you and your sisters have signals. So whatever the rules are, you'll get around them. <laughs> <laughs> outed. <laughs> Completely outed. Um, I, 
I have to give a plug here, as mm-hmm. you know, I've been doing throughout the podcast already. But uh, Carolyn, I don't know if you know this, but you made our next gen power rankings for the month of February. You slipped in at number ten. <laughs> Oh, cool. Um, so, you know, I know that was a big honor, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> right up there. Yeah. That's so, awesome. So, so here at Cracked Rackets, we're major next-gen American fans. And uh-huh. just want to hear, you know, there's a lot of hype around this next generation and restoring American tennis. Where do you think this class is going? And does it live up to the hype? Do you think it'll live up to the hype the next three to five years? I think it will definitely live up to the hype. There's a lot of girls and guys that I know coming up, and it's just great to see that everybody's finally kind of showing what American tennis can be like. And there already has been a lot of women in the top 100, but um, I expect to there to be a lot more. And especially on the men's side, like, Francis has been doing great. Those other guys have been doing awesome, like Ernesto Escobedo. Um, so it's, it's really inspiring to all of us, and I think that inspiration will just grow. So I'm excited. Absolutely. And I have to ask you a couple of fun questions about these next gen players, just because, you know, we want to know which of these players are funny. So there are people your age, the Kayla Days, CC Bellis is. Uh-huh. That's the crowd I want you to think of when I ask these questions. And, I, you know, I just want your instant reaction. So okay. my first question is of that group, who's the best to get dinner with? Who's the best to get dinner with? Probably Claire Lou. Oh. I like having dinner with Claire. We're both okay, foodies. Well, <laughs> yeah. She took over our Instagram last fall, so shout out to Claire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're on a first-name basis with her, too. Yeah, I would say Jenny Brady because I love hitting heavy forehands with her. We'll count it. I like it. But so another tough one, but I think, you know, you've had a lot of success in doubles, so you may have an easy answer. Best to play doubles with? Well, Kayla, because I, I played with her in the juniors. <laughs> and uh, And last year at Stanford, so... No, I like it. Who's the best trash talker? Uh, trash talker. None of them. <laughs> None of them are trash talkers. Are you Are you going to claim player. that then? Yeah, are you the trash talker? Gosh, <laughs> I, I don't want to because I don't know. I'd have to pass on that. My last question for you, you know, looking at 2018, what three things have to happen for you to say this was a successful season? I think... Looking back at 2018, I want to be known as a very fierce competitor, um, a very positive person, and um, probably just most improved because I've been working a lot on my foreign and on my serve. So, you know what, biggest serve, that's that's what I would say because I heard Lissiki has the fastest serve, and I'm going to try so hard this year to have a very fast serve. I love that <laughs> answer. As Dalton said, you knocked off being the Crack Rackets power rankings already on the list. So check mark. Exactly. Yes, let's go. <laughs> moving on up, moving on up. Um, so we're going to move over to a fan favorite here at Crack Rackets, uh, the rapid fire segment. So we're going to throw out, and actually Gruskin's already given you kind of a rapid fire here in the previous segment, here, but we're going to mm-hmm. move on to, uh, you know, eight to 10 questions and you're going to provide one word answers. Okay. Favorite tennis player? Sam Stozier. Favorite drink on the court? Gatorade with salt in it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. In the Gatorade? <laughs> you, I, you can't be cramping out there. You need that stuff. <laughs> it's either that or a salt stick. I mean, I, I love it. Yeah. Um, 
I know people were... who do pickle juice, but salt and gator. Okay, uh, pickle juice is kind of nasty. I do have that in my bag, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you were to take away any stroke on court, which would it be? Forehand, inside out. Favorite song or artist right now? Uh, Alice in Wonderland Church. Favorite city in the world? Chicago. Favorite athlete, non-tennis related? Ronda Rousey. Favorite surface? Red clay. Favorite thing about a fresh can of tennis balls is? The logo? The smell. No, oh, I don't like the, the smell, logo. though. You don't like the smell? No, I don't. All right, two minutes crazy. on this. How, yeah, what? No, everybody <laughs> likes that, but it makes me, like, nauseous. <laughs> That's awesome. So, a little background. We've been doing interviews since last July, actually. And I think probably 99% of players have said smell to that question. So I like the creative new new answer. Personally. All right. So. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just saying there's something about popping it open and going, ah, like it's time. Oh, no. <laughs> well, Caroline, thank you so much for taking the time tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And, you know, anytime you want to come on, you have Dalton's number. All right, for sure. <laughs> thanks, Caroline. Best of luck in 2018. Right. Thank Goodbye. you. Thanks for listening to Gruskin and I's conversation with Caroline. Caroline played an incredible match against Simona Halep in the third round at Indian Wells. And then, of course, beat fellow American Shelby Rogers in three and 30 seed Sybil Kova on the way. So big things on the horizon for Caroline. Again, I want to give a shout out to Sam Duvall and Top Notch Management for making this happen. Best of luck to Caroline the rest of the way in 2018. It was great having you on. We'll have to do it again later in the year. Um, but also, as I do... Uh, major shout out, as always, to the magician, our producer, and the one and only Daniel Westoff. He does his thing to make our podcast sound crisp and smooth and uh, great for all you listeners out there. So we have an f- awesome couple of interviews on the horizon here, including next-gen atp or Daniil Medvedev uh, in the works, and then a few others as well that uh, we will keep you posted with. So stay tuned there. Take five seconds to go subscribe to the Cracked Interviews podcast as well as the Great Shot podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and go like the Facebook page. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Only five stars, as is the Gruskin way. So thank you there. Five stars on the podcast. We're also now on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, the TuneIn app, and wherever you get your podcasts. So check us out there. And uh, for one, Alex Gruskin, Daniel Westoff, I'm Dalton Thieneman, and we will see you next time, crack fans. The final thing is that now, and not a prince of anything. Go take on that kill, anyone have been so powerful. They chip at you, I bring your skin up, everything is confusing. You will be good, but you will be more. You will be good.